This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stark, and today we're talking about answering the financial questions that count. Now, with me today, I have certified financial planner, Kelsey Banky. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you, Mary. Kelsey is leading up our Kansas City office, and we have some fun financial questions that get asked to us very frequently that we thought we would draw together and kind of go through. So I think that one of the main questions that people ask us is, Am I saving enough? <laughs> I that is a big one. It's on <laughs> a how lot much of should I be mind. saving? <laughs> exactly. Yep. And and so to know if you're saving enough, that's kind of a very personal question. And and the main answer is without some other data, I really don't know if you're saving enough. But you figuring out if you're saving enough has some components that really are kind of rules of thumb. So A, you're saving it all is the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's not realistic <laughs> yeah exactly and b what percentage of your overall income are you saving you know there's an old rule of thumb that saving 10 percent a year is the right number well that's only the right number if you've kind of started early on in life then it probably is a pretty good rule of thumb but if you've delayed your savings you probably need to be saving a higher percentage than 10 percent so are you saving enough really has to be answered by what is the amount of income that you have and how much are you saving? And then we'll be able to start a discussion about whether or not you're actually saving enough. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, very personal conversation. So, you know, my advice on that is to save as soon as you can. Start saving early. Um, even I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday, even if you, if you start saving as much as you can and life gets in the way for a little while and you pull back, that's still better to have started and stopped than to have waited longer to start. You're going to have to play a lot of catch up down the road and put a higher percentage of your salary towards your retirement savings in order to gear up for a more successful retirement. Now, the other question that we get a lot about savings is, well, how should I get started? What should I save first? And I believe that there is an order for saving. So let's talk a little bit about the order of saving to answer the question, what should I save first? First and foremost, you need to have an emergency fund. And that is the most important first thing to save when you're beginning your savings patterns. Now, the amount of your emergency fund is definitely going to shift and change over your life. For some people, there's just a gut comfort level of how much they need to have. And for some people, it's a multiple of months of income. It might be three months of your income. It might be six months of your income. But whatever your number is, your emergency money establishing that is numero uno when it comes to saving. Absolutely. That one should be the, the number one goal. And, uh, you know, and Thinking through that, you have to have an emergency fund in order to build a healthy financial foundation. For sure. Because if you're missing that emergency fund, you will likely turn to debt um, or some other unhealthy uh, financing strategy to pay for things that pop up out of the blue because, again, life happens. (laughs) Um, So if you have that emergency fund, it's there to help you um, continue to make good financial decisions instead of um, reaching toward uh, debt to pay for things that were not expected. Following the emergency fund, the second thing to tap into is 
putting enough into your company-sponsored retirement plan, like your 401k, to capture the full match. So whatever your match formula is, and everybody's is different, getting the full match in your 401k is really step two. That's free money. Might as well go for it. Free money. It's my favorite kind. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Just by putting some of your income into your 401k account for yourself, you can get a match from the company. You, You just took advantage of a really nice benefit and got additional compensation from your company that otherwise you wouldn't have gotten. So please take advantage of those. Now, step three is really funding a Roth IRA if you're eligible to do so. And the reason for that is because the Roth IRAs can create tax-free income later. So while free money might be our favorite kind of money, tax-free money is our second favorite kind of money. (laughs) So step three is doing your Roth. Now the Roths have income limits and they have contribution limits, so it's not going to be for everybody. But if you're eligible for it, it's definitely something to consider doing. Then the step four is really going back and maxing out your 401k. So There's maximum limits in 2019. It's a $19,000 limit. And if you're over age 50, you can do another $6,000 for a total of 25. But those are really your four-step progression. Emergency fund, getting your 401k match maxed out, filling your Roth IRA bucket, and then doing the 401k max in your plan. So if you want to know... Sorry, Mary, if you're going beyond that uh, and you want to save more, then kudos to you for accomplishing the first four in that list. And then you're going to want to talk with, uh, you know, professional for sure on what should you do to complement your retirement plan with any assets after that. Now, frequently we hear people say, well, what should I be telling my adult children about savings? And really what you should be telling your adult children about savings is everything we've talked about so far. Get started early, try to do up to 10% of your income, and then the order of doing it in is these four things. So really that piece of the dialogue we've just covered is good for you, but it's also good for adult children who are just kind of now getting out on their own. Okay, answering the financial questions and count are not just about savings. The next thing I want to talk about is the actual investing themselves. So if you have done some investing then one of the main questions that we get from people is, are my investments any good? (laughs) I think that's a legit question. So how do you know? How do you know if your investments are actually any good? Definitely need to be reviewing them and looking at some information and data. So um, there's different tools out there, different sites that you can use um, to give you some analytics on it. Um, But you need to be having a, a process for reviewing these because any point in time your funds might look good and you pick another time in in the future and all of a sudden those funds might not look good so this is not a one and done approach you need to be doing this with regularity and if you don't feel like you can do a good job yourself again seek professional help to help analyze what um, your, your investment performance is, and could you be doing better if you were doing something different, or could you be lowering your risk by doing something different? What's the best strategy for you? A lot yeah. of different questions go into that. So Kelsey just kind of rolled through a lot of different things that go into it. One of the things that we do as financial advisors is a strategy that's called peer group ranking. So, you know, when you're trying to figure out if your investments are any good, a lot of that is just analytics and math and data. And so we use a service that's called Morningstar that helps aggregate all of the data. 
and it's bringing in all of the math and all the analytics. It kind of breaks it down into what are called asset classes, meaning what's the kind of grouping that your investment sits in, and then it can quantify it for us. So like, what's the average that that grouping did? Are you above average or below average? Now, that's a very simplified way to explain peer group ranking, but what it does do is helps us identify if something is above average, average, or below average. And when there's lots of choices of investments out there, you have to really ask yourself, why would you stay in anything that's actually below average? That doesn't seem like it makes a heck of a lot of sense. So are your funds any good is answered by the um, solution of peer group ranking and analytics. And that's something where, you know, a financial advisor can really come into play and help. Now, the next question about investing that we frequently get is, how do I pick my 401k funds? <laughs> and that's a really good I get good that question. one all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I bet you do. <laughs> so there's a couple of different answers for that. One is you can do it kind of an easy way. And usually that involves using something that are called target date funds or risk-based funds. And target date funds just mean that you pick one thing that is aligning with the date that you are probably going to retire. And then the company does all of the allocation and diversification work for you. And those are kind of nice. Yeah, it's a great autopilot approach. Um, not saying you can't, you don't ever have to look at it again, but you can feel some confidence that the funds are staying allocated in a, in a balanced way when you use those funds because the fund manager is responsible for making sure that happens. But also you can feel that your risk is, is somewhat aligned with your retirement plan. Now, what one person's risk who's retiring in 25 years and another person's risk tolerance for retiring in 25 years to assume those are perfectly the same would not be reasonable, but you can feel confidence that you're not going to have too extreme of risk as you approach retirement, which is something people fail to address as they um, get closer to retirement. Now, if you're not going to use the target date funds, then picking your own funds inside there really comes down to what is your risk tolerance level, how much risk do you want to have in it, and then creating a diversified set of choices that aligns across the asset classes with your risk level. So most 401k plans have quizzes you can take or little, um, you know, things you, questions you can go through online that'll help you with that process. Um, the other thing, though, is a financial advisor can come in and analyze all of the holdings inside your 401k plan and suggest to you within the context of your planning what are the best funds for you to use and whether or not the target date funds might be a better option for you than picking your own or vice versa. It just depends on what's available to you in your plan. So those are some things that you can keep in mind with that. Now, the last question that we get about investing, which is really subjective, is am I doing the right things? And that's really hard for an advisor to know if you're doing the right things until you really dig in and do some planning. But let me tell you why I wanted to include that question on this show. So um, I was visiting with a client and we had just gotten done with their planning. And I asked them the question, what has been the most valuable part of this planning process for you? And what she said to me, I thought was really important. Now, keep in mind that this person ha is an attorney and they're an extremely smart person. And what they said to me was this, the most valuable part of the planning process was knowing for sure I was doing the right things. 
I'm an information hound. I have always tried to figure out what should I be doing? Is it the right thing to do? But there's so much noise out there. There's so much information out there. I didn't know if I should actually be doing that, how much I should be doing, what's the right order to do things in, am I crossing all of my, you know, T's and dotting all of my I's. And going through a planning process has helped me know exactly what to do and when to do it. And so I think that the answer to am I doing the right thing really comes down to your own financial situation and looking at it to say what's unique about your situation and how do you align the money you have with the life you want to lead. Yeah, and it really, the effectiveness of your financial planner and the work that we do is only as good as the information you share. So if you give us one account and you say, am I doing the right things here? We can tell you how to best maximize that account based on that information. However, things that are happening outside of that account that are also related to your financial situation are going to to impact that and going to impact how we answer those questions. So holistic financial planning is very valuable in helping you understand if you're taking advantage of the things that you should be doing and if you're doing things wrong, how to stop or to divert that, that to mm-hmm. a different um, avenue. It, it, it truly is valuable from that perspective. And I think we get that kind of feedback frequently. It's like, okay, now I understand how all the pieces come together <laughs> and I understand how Clarity. to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, very, very valuable for, for clients that choose to do that. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're answering the financial questions that count. So we've taken time to go back and look and think about what are the most common financial questions that we get from people when they're talking to us. So we've talked a little bit about savings and investing, and now I want to dive into retirement. So I think the most common retirement question that we get is, when can I retire? (laughs) that's a hot topic (laughs) I know a lot of people it's like right now I want to retire right now and then there's equal as many people who are like oh I don't know if I ever want to retire (laughs) so it really depends on what your goals are but answering the question of when you can retire really is answering the question of at what point has work become optional for you and work becomes optional When you have enough money to support the lifestyle you want to lead without having to go earn more. So there's a lot of moving parts to that question, which why it's why it's not easily answered and why financial planners and retirement planners have jobs. (laughs) (laughs) But in order to figure out when you can retire, you really have to figure out what are your income sources that are going to come for you in retirement? What kind of amount of value can you pull off of your retirement assets? And between those two things, does that give you the lifestyle that you want? If it gives you the lifestyle that you want, then work is optional. You could retire now. Even if you don't want to, you don't have to. It's just letting you know you can. But if those sources don't give you the amount of income to support the lifestyle you want, then you're not there yet. Work is not optional yet for the lifestyle that you want to live. And so the answer to when can I retire really just has to do with do your assets and income sources create the lifestyle that you want to lead? Right. And I think that that's sometimes a a challenge for people to answer is they aren't always sure what they want their lifestyle to Mm -hmm. be in retirement or what that will cost. Um, And that's 
that's not really something for us to answer for you because everybody, how they want to spend their time and how much money they need to, to fund that, that kind of lifestyle is completely different. There are people that can live very happily and comfortably on, um, you know, 25, $30,000 a year. And there are people that are like, nope, I need a million dollars a year before I'm going to feel like I'm living the lifestyle I want. And neither one of those things is wrong. It's just two completely different types of planning and, and asset levels that you have to have to support that. So, um, if you, if this is a question, when can I retire that you're asking and you haven't given thought to what your life's going to look like when you're done working, that's where you need to start. What, where, what is it going to look like? And then you need to start looking at what kind of money have you put away so far? What kind of income sources do you expect to have? And slowly the puzzle unravels from there for you. <laughs> yeah. This, the number two question we get is, well, how much money do I need to retire? And really the answer is exactly the same as we just answered the first question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it used to be people were like, if I had a million dollars, I could retire. And I can tell you easily now that a lot of people we work with have millions or more and it's not enough because their lifestyle is significantly higher than what lifestyles used to be. So if you have a simple lifestyle and you don't feel like you have much debt and you don't have a lot of monthly needs, it's going to come, you know, a point sooner and you have less money that you have to build up to be able to provide that. So the life you want to lead is the most important piece of your retirement puzzle. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the next topic of answering the financial questions and count, and that comes to surround insurance. So one of the most common questions we get surrounding insurance is, do I have enough life insurance? So life insurance goes through different phases. When you're younger, it's about protecting widows and children if you as the breadwinner are no longer available to help bring money in. When you're in your middle years and your children are grown and it's maybe just you and a spouse, then life insurance is more about making sure there's enough money there to provide for your spouse through a comfortable retirement if you're not there to continue to save retirement dollars. And then when you get to the later part of life and your retirement's in the bag and your children are grown, really it becomes about legacy planning do you want to leave any type of legacy financially for loved ones or for charity? So those are the three phases that life insurance goes through. And when you're thinking about do you have enough, then there's certain questions that you have to be asking yourself depending on the phase that you're in. Absolutely. And this is somewhere where you see a lot of people that have some specific dollar amount and, and I'll ask, okay, how did you come to that dollar amount of insurance? And I'm like, I don't know, my, this is just my agent told me to get. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and here's the thing that may be the right amount or that may be enough, maybe more than what you need, but how do you know that? So right. again, what are you trying to protect? How much debt would need to be paid off in the event of your death? How much income do you need to provide to family members if you're in the widows and children stage or the, the stage where you're trying to, to help provide for a spouse through retirement. All of that needs to be accounted for to really dial into how much life insurance you have. And then you take it to the next step of what kinds of life insurance should you have. And there's lots of different ways to go about that. But again, starting with the, the information of how much you need and, and what are you trying to cover is, is a step people often skip 
Um, and then you, then you have to question, well, do you have the right amount? Which is, I think, why we get this question so often. <laughs> so I'm a big believer that you shouldn't have a dollar more of insurance than the amount that you need. And there's some certain things you can use to figure out how much you need. So for one thing, Kelsey mentioned that you might want to cover debt. If you want your family to be able to stay in the house they're in, is there a mortgage? Um, and so that's the big debt piece. Are there other pieces of debt that you would want to have paid off if something happens to you? So you can add up the amount of debt and know that that's one number that counts towards your formula of figuring out how much you should have. The second thing is, if you have children, do you want money to be set aside to cover college? If you're not going to be there, do you want to ease the burden on your surviving spouse and on your children to make college affordable by setting aside a chunk of money from your insurance benefits to be able to pay for college? If so, then that's a number that you can add into your life insurance formula. And the last big thing is the lifestyle side of it. So how long and at what amount of lifestyle income do you want to provide for the family that's left behind? Now, I've had people say, well, I don't want my wife to go down and party in the Bahamas with the pool boy, so not very much. (laughs) (laughs) And I've had some people say, well, I want to provide for her for the rest of my life and or the rest of her life. And so, you know, wherever you fall in that spectrum is fine. It's your own belief of where you fall. But leaving money to replace the income that's going to be gone if you're no longer with your family is another piece or another value that can go into your life insurance formula. So those are kind of the big things that you want to be looking at. And then once you get into that latter stage of the life insurance side of things, and it's about legacy, then really your formula is what kind of financial legacy and impact do I want to leave for my children, for charity and things like that. So that's the most important life insurance question that we see people ask. Now, one thing I want to mention um, is that we do have a free giveaway um, from June 8th through June 12th. My book, Ready to Pull the Retirement Trigger, is actually available for free on Amazon. I've I've arranged for it to be free for this four-day period. And if you go out there and download it during that time, you'll be able to get lots of numbers that count for you when you're planning for your own future. So, Hopefully that will be good, valuable information for all of you. And thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk as we've answered the financial questions that count. Qualified distributions from Roth 401k accounts are tax and penalty free if the first Roth contribution was made at least five years before or if you are at least 59 and a half, are disabled or have deceased. For non-qualified distributions from Roth 401k accounts, earnings are taxable and may be subject to a 10% early withdrawal penalty. After 2006, IRS contribution limits will be adjusted for inflation in $500 increments. Investments in the target retirement funds are subject to the risks of their underlying funds. The year in the fund name refers to the approximate year, the target date, when the investor in the fund would start withdrawing their money. The fund will gradually shift its emphasis from more aggressive investments to more conservative ones based on its target date. An investment in the target retirement fund, including the principal, is not guaranteed at any time, including on or after the target date. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. 
of past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturt Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturt Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.